Americans. This is the Urbane Cowboys podcast with Josiah Neely of R Street Institute and Doug McCullough of Lone Star Policy Institute. Good day. Howdy, y'all. Welcome to the Urbane Cowboys podcast. I'm Josiah Neely of R Street And I'm Doug McCullough of the Lone Star Policy Institute. Today, we're joined by Catherine Jean Lopez, affectionately known as Kalo to her adoring fans. She's an editor-at-large with National Review and senior fellow at National Review Institute. Catherine, thank you for uh, being on the show today. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. So we often have a, an author um, come on the show to talk about their new book, and Josiah usually throws a, a softball out there and asks them what their, what their book's about. And today we're going to be talking about Christmas. So I thought, you know, maybe sort of as a softball, you know, we know you didn't actually write the Gospels, but so, so tell us about this, this Christmas story. Who's this Jesus fellow? <laughs> well, I, I will take that question since you, you offered as a softball to, um, to plug a book that has a lot to do with the, the Gospels that I put together that was published last year called A Year with the Mystics, um, Visionary Wisdom for Daily Living. And the idea with that book, and it begins and ends with uh, the Gospel of John, actually, um, the idea is, you know, people people think mysticism is something kind of exotic and, and uh, mysterious and for the rare bird, you know, who's probably a bit of an odd duck. And uh, anyway, uh, the fact of the matter is that what the catechism of the Catholic Church calls mysticism is union with God, which is the purpose of our lives. And Christmas is, you know, this unbelievable opportunity to to really encounter the living God, right? Uh, Christians believe that that the the father sent the son, you know, to be uh, to, to be in human flesh and uh and and yet was still divine and that's you know an amazing reality when when you think about it you know uh, us pathetic human beings god you know humbled himself uh to do this and i think particularly this year i hate saying that you know particularly or especially this year because it's necessary all the time but in 2020 when so many of us have experienced you know so much fear and uncertainty and anxiety and all of it um, and and the, the the separation from uh, from from church physical church, um, you know uh, it, it, this this opportunity to receive the Christ child um, in a renewed way to to truly uh, try to live life as as a Christian um, and really like hit the reset button in some regards. You know we can never completely hit the reset button in as much as you know we are people with histories and you know, um, memories and sins and all, all the rest. Um, but you know, God in his mercy does give us this, these opportunities to change, to let him change us. So, you know, in, in that regard, I'm, I'm excited about Christmas. I'm a little, uh, you know, apprehensive about some of the government attempts to shut down Christmas, you know, and I think we have to fight against that, not by having, you know, crazy parties. This is not the point, of <laughs> you know, not, not by protesting to make sure we get pictures with Santa Claus, but absolutely, you know, we should be able to socially distance, go to mass and the rest of it. Um, you know, be, be careful and prudent and loving to our neighbors, um, but we need to worship God. And, you know, in a particular way, I, I know, um, 
my friend Matt Hennessy at the Wall Street Journal the other day wrote a piece really bucking up Catholic bishops to fight um, the government if it tries to, to, to shut down churches again. And, and he's, he's like, barricade yourself to the altar if you have to. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and I'm like, God bless him. But some of his feedback he was getting from some Protestants was really not understanding the necessity to be in the church, you know. And, you know, Catholics believe that the Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ, not representative. So if you believe that, and I know a lot of Catholics don't, there were a few surveys a year or so ago that said that, but that is what we believe. Um, that's what the Catholic, you know, doctrine is. And so can you imagine being cut off from that? I mean, first of all, yes, there's the community aspect of it um, and, and worship itself. But, oh, my goodness, you know. So it was, I mean, it was a traumatic, it was traumatic for everyone on, on a lot of levels. Um, but, but that fundamental understanding, I think, is in some ways a, a gift to be able to uh, realize all over again and recommit to and maybe learn for the first time. And, you know, I think it's giving also people of different affiliations um, an opportunity, you know, to, to have some common, common cause, um, you know, uh, solidarity you know, um, being, being in the, in the same boat, but also fighting for, for religious freedom, because I do think in some cases, some of these restrictions have been completely arbitrary. You know, I, I was just reading that, that Pope Francis, um, is celebrating mass midnight mass at like seven thirty or something because the 10 PM curfew, you know, like mm. coronavirus goes away at, you know, at, <laughs> <laughs> during certain hours and, you know, Heaven forbid you be out at one in the morning after you went to mass, you know. But uh, anyway, so what what is the current status? So you're in in New York uh, right now. What yeah. is the current status of restrictions there? I know that there was a Supreme Court decision recently having to do with challenges to some of the the New York restrictions as they applied to religious services. Right. So Andrew Cuomo has these rules if you're in a hot spot, and I forget what the numbers are, but but a certain increase in, in COVID uh, cases. And so uh, a couple of uh, a couple of spots in uh, Brooklyn um, were were in those hot spot areas. And so uh, that that was meaning that you were restricted to 10 people. And like, so Brooklyn has like this massive cathedral and only 10 people can be that in that. That's insane. You know, <laughs> different, different churches have different sizes and, and they're, um, they're having to uh, play by the same rules. So anyway, God bless him, Bishop DiMarzio, um, because uh, Brooklyn is a different Catholic diocese than, than New York, um, like Manhattan. And it's, and it's very complicated because Manhattan, the New York diocese that Cardinal Bolin runs goes up to kind of Albany. Um, but it, it doesn't include Brooklyn and, and, and some of the other Long Island. And, but anyway, so Bishop DiMarzio in Brooklyn went to the Supreme court and, um, and I was so happy that he won because I think that, uh, I think that that means that a lot of other people will be willing to fight arbitrary restrictions. And, you know, the thing that really, uh, you know, bugs, bugs a lot of us the most is, you know, fine. If you, if, if you convince us that it's unsafe to, to be in a church, then it's unsafe to be in a liquor store or a supermarket. So once you close down the liquor stores in the supermarkets, then we can talk, you know, 
Um, it does, you know, I, I have, have, um, gotten, gotten angry a number of days where, you know, I, I go to mass and I'm nowhere near a human being for most of the mass, except for communion. And, um, and, you know, the priest is masked and using Purell and it's almost like another rite into itself, you know, the, the cleansing of the hands and, and all. And then, you know, I go into a supermarket where everybody's gotten kind of casual and, you know, they're on top of each other. Um, I, I know where I, I'm safer. Um, so, uh, yeah. The, and the rules keep, keep changing too. And, and, um, and we hear lots of rumors that it's going to get more restrictive. And I, I think people have to be confident this time in, in fighting back a bit because, you know, the thing that worries me the most is, you know, like I say, the, the liquor store thing, you know, at exactly the time when people need God and need meaning, you know, are probably searching for it in a more intense way uh, to not be able to, to seek out religion, you know, I, watching it on YouTube is not, or, or it's not the same thing. And it's also, you know, it's not tapping into sacraments and, and community and, um, and so, uh, yeah, you know, we, we definitely have to, uh, do better. You know, we've, we've seen, you know, the statistics on suicide and addiction and anxiety, and these are real things. And, um, we also have to do better as, as, uh, Christian church to, to reach out to people and make sure people aren't left alone. It's also very difficult, you know, um, in New York city, uh, I, I used to, you know, have conversations with homeless people all the time and, you know, maybe get some food. And there are so many people who are so high, you know, it's, it's like become dangerous, um, to even walk down the street sometimes. Um, and so I know it's, 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 it's hard to, to love in this mess, but we got to figure out ways. Yeah, it is. Uh, so obviously it gets very complicated because, you know, back in March when they did the initial lockdowns, uh, you know, they tried to shut down as much as possible in order to, you know, not have people starve or blackouts or whatever. And we don't want to, don't want to do that and so you try and come up with well something something more targeted and that gets it gets tricky because you you have to think like uh you know there i mean there are i there are elements of a church service like singing or the length of time that you're in there it gets it gets hard to say like well what what is what is really you know i think this was in the supreme court case one of the disputes between the majority and the minority is what's the proper analogy is is uh, a liquor store or a hardware store or whatever is that more analogous to uh, a church service or is it more like a lecture or a concert or something uh so it gets it's very tough and of course religion it, it doesn't help that you do have instances of uh leaders like uh, bill de blasio you know uh someone asked him well you know how is it that the church, you know, uh, Orthodox, uh, services can't be held, but people can have these, uh, BLM protests and, you know, right. like, well, <laughs> you know, uh, right. And it doesn't you know, are important, you know, unlike religion. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. And it doesn't help that, you know, we, we can't trust people like Bill 
de Blasio right. and Andrew Cuomo. We know what their ideology is. I mean, think of Kamala Harris and the things she said about the Knights of Columbus and yeah. Diane Feinstein and what she said to Amy Coney Barrett the first time around about, you know, maybe the dogma lives a little too loudly within you. I'm like, okay, thanks for putting all your cards on the table here. You know, these are the people who are making our, the quote public health decisions. Well, they think we're bad news in the first place, you know? Yes. And, and, and of course, Cuomo, is it true that Cuomo, uh, like had a big massive Thanksgiving dinner with like 30 people or something? I, I, I do know. not know. I, I stopped following that story at a certain point when, when he, uh, he had to dis, disinvite his mother to Thanksgiving, um, yeah. because he had, you know, told us we couldn't see our mothers. So, um, we did have, uh, in Austin, the Austin mayor put out a uh, statement on Facebook. He had like a video on Facebook telling people that they needed to stay home and, and not see people and whatever. And then it turned out that he had actually recorded that uh, from a resort in uh, Cabo San Luca. Oh, brilliant. Flown to, to be at like a, <laughs> to, to go to like a, a wedding with a bunch of people. Wonderful. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's kind of, yeah. It, it is kind of hard, like leadership by example, right? Yeah. Uh, is important. Yeah, yeah. Like the little people can't can't uh, go see their family, but but they can. And it it really, you know, it also I think it frightens people. I mean, I know elderly people who are literally frightened that you know if someone from New York City went to their house, you know, thirty miles away, that the police were going to knock on the door. So one of the questions I have for you is. Um, you know, how, how was the church performed, I guess is the right way to ask, ask the question. And I mean this both in, and I know you're most familiar with the Catholic church, but how is the church in general, Catholic, Protestant, how have they performed in terms of ministry this year? You know, I mean, I know we can hear, have conversations about, oh, the churches, their gross receipts are down or what, whatever. But, you know, you, you mentioned the, you know, the, 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 this human suffering is is so severe and so forth. This would have been such a time for the need for ministry. But I also, you know, what I didn't see that maybe I might have predicted. I mean, if, if we were in February and would have said that, you know, you know, however many months, 10 months later, that we were still in sort of this lockdown and uh, suicide rates are up, that you might see something resembling a religious revival. I don't know that we've seen that, but do you sort of have any bright stories of how faith and ministry have really led to sort of that, you know, sustainability in people's lives? Yeah. You know, it's a mixed bag. You know, I I do think that um, generally speaking, we failed in the regard that we, we shouldn't have let the shutdowns last as long as they did. Um, You know, I think that, um, Elderly and other vulnerable people should have been strongly encouraged to stay home, um, but I think um, I think we should have fought earlier <laughs> to open. Um, that having been said, yeah, there are some tremendous stories out there. You know, in Washington D.C., um, St. Thomas More uh, Catholic Church is in um, Anacostia, and if you're in D.C., you don't you don't have to pass through Anacostia. You kind of avoid it if you don't live there. And so all the, all the people who come in and out for government and everything else never go to Anacostia. 
um, you know, poorest area, most, uh, one of the most dangerous blocks, um, in the country is a couple blocks away from St. Thomas More. Well, at St. Thomas More, you know, they, um, they stepped up to the plate. They made sure, you know, people had food and they had quality food. The pastor loves to, to say, you know, this wasn't like your expired, you know, soup cans. <laughs> this was, this was meat. This was, you know, whole chickens. This was, and they were feeding whoever needed food. Um, and they, and they got, you know, they have, they have a parishioner or two who, who knows some people. And, um, and part of that is because when John Boehner was speaker of the house, um, and even before he was speaker, he cared about these Catholic schools. And, um, and so, uh, so anyway, so there are some, some political types who have taken a personal interest. And so they helped with donations, helped with laptops for all the kids when they had to go virtual. Um, because I think we take sometimes these things for granted. If you do have Wi-Fi and, and uh, a laptop and uh, not everybody does, you know, um, and we do tend to be a little divided in, in regard to knowing one another's experiences. So I, I love, you know, that school literally is saving lives. Most of the kids are not Catholic and um, feeding people and keeping them safe. And um, so I love, I love stories like that. And it also, it's a black parish and um, they, uh, you know, it's just, it's like a different Catholic church experience because it's all the same mass, but, but it's just, there's, there's so much love overflowing, you know, in the, the, uh, handshake of peace will take like 15 minutes because people will be like going around. That's not, that's not what happens in every, every Catholic church, believe, believe me. Um, so it was like, it was like traumatic for them to not be able to go to mass. And then when they finally got to mass, like there was no human, you know, contact. And, um, and it was kind of beautiful how, how much to see how much that was a part of their existence, you know? Um, and, uh, and anyway, there are also lots of stories that I keep hearing about, you know, the, I was talking to a priest from Canada the other day who said that, uh, they, uh, they went around, I think, I think it was on Easter, um, to all the parishioners, you know, um, just to, to give a blessing and, and, uh, other places where, you know, they would keep the door open. I actually heard this beautiful story in DC where, um, a woman who was not Catholic, um, she, she was looking for a church to pray in and the only churches she could find were Catholic. And she, she just found herself there. And as I was saying before, you know, we believe in the real presence in the Eucharist and she had no idea about that, but she, she described to, to a, a Catholic sister, you know, I felt like I, there was, Jesus was present there, you know, and, and, um, you know, and I found a new peace. And so sometimes by even just keeping the door open, you know, God can, can work. Um, but I also heard stories where, you know, uh, very, very safely socially distanced and everything. Um, you know, there were priests, um, hearing confessions during, during the time of the lockdown. So at least people had that. Um, and, uh, you know, you think about, when we're going through a pandemic, people are asking some serious questions and appreciating their own mortality in a, in a new way. And, and so you need to have those kind of things available. I also heard stories where, you know, um, I know Charlie Camosi, who's at Fordham and writes a lot on, on end of life and bioethical issues. He, um, he, he and his parish in New Jersey, uh, a bunch of them like split up 
the uh, phone list and, and called, you know, the parishioner list and, and just made sure everybody got a phone call, you know, um, to make sure they're okay and know that, you know, their fellow parishioners care. And so, um, yeah, that, that, I think there are more stories than not of those. Um, but I also think that, you know, at the end of this year, at Christmas time, when, you know, we kind of hopefully are in a reflective mode and especially again in, in this year, you know, somebody said to me, you know, we can, we can just, you know, do Thanksgiving next year. And like, that is the wrong lesson from this year. There may not be a next year. So, you know, um, I, I, this point has been driven home so much to me lately. My, my dear friend, Andrew Walther died on November 1st. And then a couple of days ago, I had my last conversation with actually the, the editor of that, that book I was telling you about, A Year with the Mystics. He just had a heart attack um, at 52 and um, with lots of uh, young children. And uh, so was Andrew. He had, he had four very, very young children, under seven, in fact. And it's just, it's such a reminder, you know, this minute may be your last minute. And so live it well. And, um, and so one of the things that I think would really be helpful for us to do this, this at the end of this year, one thing that worries me is, you know, we do treat politics like a religion. And so then we get in this position where, you know, we think that our guy being in office is like the most important thing in the world. Um, and that, you know, we have to save the world too. I think there's a little, and you know, our guy is going to do that. And I think we just have a need to have a new appreciation for how important living a life of virtue is and stepping up to the plate in the, in the little ways that we can, and that that's more powerful than we realize. Yeah. I, I think that if we, if we had actually planned this, uh, properly, I think we probably would have had Thanksgiving in like January, and then perpetual Christmas for the rest of the year, uh, and then and then I guess Jubilee sometime next year when everybody has the vaccine. But but you know I say that I say that jokingly, obviously, but in some sense, and I know we just were past Thanksgiving, but like this is actually what Thanksgiving's for, and then we'll talk about Christmas decks. But I mean, like. I know for for my family, I mean, we're very, very grateful that we've made it through this year, um, you know, relatively healthy and everybody's fine now. And, uh, you know, we haven't lost any close family members. And like when you when you stop and really think about yeah, how think about actually the blessings that you have, even in a year like this, I mean, there's still so much to be grateful for. Yeah, you know, I mean, thanks be to God, we're alive. You know, I try to try to acknowledge that every morning. There, there, you know, and in New York, like I was saying, there, there's so much obvious addiction on the streets and obvious homelessness, and you know, and so to be able to say, you know, thanks be to God, I have a bed and a place to shower and a roof over my head. I mean, these things are not small things; they're not givens. And um, so I do think it's important. I, I think it's the only way to move forward, too, um, as a nation, you know, in our lives, you name it. And, um, yeah, I, I also think that this, this we, we first met Doug because of the National Review Institute Regional Fellowship Program, which we actually now call Burke to Buckley and then Burke mm -hmm. to William F. Buckley Jr., I think is the official name now. Um, but, uh, at the, so it's 
it, it's these um, dinners, dinner discussions um, where you talk about principles of conservatism. And then the last session I always do, and it's on gratitude. And um, part of the reason that, you know, that's, that's the way we close is, um, you know, conser conservatives don't own uh, gratitude, but you can't be a conservative without one, without gratitude. And part of that is is displayed in, in a lot of the writing of Bill Buckley, where he always acknowledged that, you know, he wasn't the one that everyone's been waiting for all of human history. And he was a pretty uh, talented dude. But, um, and I always do think of that Barack Obama campaign slogan, we are the ones that we have been waiting for. Um, no, you know, human history actually existed before me. <laughs> after. And there are a lot of uh, great things that came before us and they might be worth uh, looking into. You know, I, I hate to sound like the old guy screaming at the kids on his lawn, but um, but I noticed that with the, the, the Z, I guess, generation, there's there's like this lack of curiosity about anything that's come before. And obviously I'm generalizing, but I do wonder if it's become a little bit of our, you know, in our selfie culture here. Um, I wonder if, if um, there's there's like a cultural narcissism that um, that is is pushing gratitude to the sidelines a little bit, and we really have to you know push against that and recapture the the sense that you know we have a patrimony that is good you know not, we don't have to take down all the statues, um, and also you know gratitude. Uh, the prerequisite for gratitude is humility um, because, right. you know, you realize, you, you know, your life is a gift. Um, and so certainly, you know, everything else that is good is. Um, and uh, yeah, without humility, we're never going to have, we'll be able to work with, uh, with, with one another, you know, if we have differences of opinion and things. And that's what you're seeing right now in the world, you know. So just because I know you mentioned the, the National Review Program, the, Sorry, remind me what's Burke the name of it again. To Buckley. So you mentioned the Burke to Buckley program. Before we go back and talk a little bit, sorry, end on a lighter note, talking about Christmas. Uh, tell us a little bit about that program, and I think that there's some deadlines for people that might be interested in the, the next session. So I think it's an eight week program, and um, we have it in the spring in New York, DC, and Philadelphia. And then in uh, the summer, we have it in, uh, or no, what did I just say? Yeah, yeah, right. The so, so the spring sessions, if you're New York, D.C. or Philadelphia, the uh, applications are going to open up in mid-January. And um, so you can keep an eye on the National Review Institute's website. You can, um, if you follow the National Review Institute on Twitter, or if you follow me on Twitter, I'm always retweeting tweeting when they tell me to. And, uh, uh, and then in, uh, in the, uh, winter, those the, the fall, the fall, we have, um, Dallas, San Francisco, Chicago. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, it's a great, you know, opportunity for networking. It's, uh, professionals in different walks of life who, are all conservative, um, coming from different backgrounds. So it's always, it's always fascinating to me. One of the things that's fascinating to me is from city to city, how different it can be. 
Um, because, you know, like if you're in Dallas, people will talk about God immediately. But if you're in San Francisco, they're kind of afraid to even admit they're there, you know? <laughs> so, um, so it's always a, a fascinating um, encounter. We have in the last year, of course, done it virtually, which is, um, you know, it still works, but it's not quite the same experience. Um, but, uh, but everybody, everybody finds it worthwhile. Yeah, I, I had a great experience. We had, you were one of the presenters, uh, Raihan Salam, um, and uh, we had, we definitely had a lot of really great sessions, learned a lot, uh, but also, uh, you know, lifelong friendships. I mean, we, we started a, um, an annual Christmas book Aww, exchange um, that, uh, yeah, so uh, I've, uh, so anyhow, it's been, it's been a great experience. Well, I, but, I do love that um, aspect where, you know, these, these are adults who are, you know, forming these, these new lifelong friendships and, and collaborations. And, and it's really a beautiful thing to see. So we have a little bit of time left, you know, it, given just how things have changed in 2020, talk a little bit about, you know, what your favorite family traditions are for Christmas, you know, you know, from prior, from prior years. And, you know, how are you, you know, personally, how are you trying to maybe accommodate those to the realities of 2020? Well, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a a weirdo this way. I, I, midnight mass, you know, um, that this year has really, you know, obviously I, I must be a, a little bit of a contemplative type if I did the mystics book, right? And I find the older and older I get, like the more time I want to spend in prayer on Christmas. And um, because, you know, if this stuff is true, you know, um, which I believe it is. And I think, I think, you know, for a lot of people, this year has been a bit of a, you know, a, a, a challenge in, in, you know, sort of facing, wait, wait, do I really believe this? You know? And, um, and yeah, you know, um, life doesn't make any sense without it. (laughs) Suffering makes no sense without it. And, um, and so, yeah, that's, that's one of my favorite things. The, The other thing that I think is so important and that I can fail miserably on is, um, I think Christmas cards are really important. I think sending people letters in the mail is really important, generally speaking. And I failed. I I planned on, you know, every day sending someone a letter and I didn't do that. Um, I did send some Christmas letters. I occasionally, you know, I have this terrible habit of back in pre-COVID days, I would buy, you know, lots of postcards and whenever I'm traveling and then like never send them. So I occasionally would just take some, you know, like I haven't been here in years, but I'm going to send you a note anyway. Um, just to, you know, to re- let people know you, you're thinking about them and not in a text message, you know, and not in an email where it'll get buried because there are way too many emails in your inbox. Um, and so with Christmas cards, I think, you know, the Christmas letter idea is nice. Um, and people like to hear updates on your family, but I, I think more like a personal note on a card, I just think is, is so, uh, touching to people. Do you have any favorite Christmas movie? Um, oh gosh, what is that? There's, there's a movie called Christmas in Connecticut. 
I think is what it's called. Is that the name of the movie? That it's it's like now now I forget if that's the name of the movie, but it's it's about this. You know, he actually looks like Mitt Romney. I forget who the actor is. You know, this this secular grumpy rich guy who um, winds up uh, in a close encounter with a, a bunch of nuns in Bethlehem. Oh, it's in Bethlehem. Oh, it's called Come to the Stable. That's what it's called. Come to the Stable. It's in Bethlehem, Connecticut. Uh, not Pennsylvania. Why? What is my thing with Connecticut? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And it's just, it's an adorable movie. And of course, you know, I like the ending. So you can imagine what happens. And I just, it's its not profound or anything, but its it's beautiful in this very sweet way. So I always, I always try to watch it at, at Christmas time. So my my two favorite Christmas movies, and I say this as a lifelong Protestant, my two favorite Christmas movies are, are Going My Way and Bells of St. Mary's. And I watch them oh, pretty beautiful. much every year. And it's like, you know, can, when was the last time there was ever a secular movie that featured such a you know, favorable, heroic, everyday hero type of figure as Father oh. O'Malley. I mean, I can't think of anything yeah. else. Yeah, yeah, no, it does in in some regards, you know, tell us how how different our, our culture is. You know, I mm. oh gosh, now I, I'm not ending this. I'm not lighthearted. You know, but what <laughs> what does this make me think of? This makes me think of the Nicholas Krustoff uh, uh, piece in the New York Times where I didn't realize, I knew pornography was a problem, but more people are on Pornhub than on Netflix or YouTube or Amazon. I was, that's just, so please, more Bells of St. Mary's, you know, more Come to the Stable, um, you know, more, more, um, more really appreciating this season for what it is. And I, I think that that's, that's beautiful, you know, Catholics on Good Friday and hopefully other times pray for Christian unity. And so we should, we should absolutely help one another and share one another's, uh, you know, traditions in, in as much as it's not violating our conscience or anything, you know, share the best of, of, um, of our common traditions and faith. Um, and, and yeah, to not, um, yeah, not, you know, I think there's, there's frequently a danger, um, I've seen this recently um, firsthand, you know, there's a danger that we kind of, you know, make, make someone who's different, the other, you know, even if it's, you know, some, simply the difference between an evangelical and a Catholic or, or whatever. Um, but, but how about like, look at the common grounds, right? We both believe in Christ and, and let's go from there, you know? Yeah. My favorite Christmas movie is the uh, Christmas story, uh, which is not, I mean, uh, just a, from childhood uh, favorite in that respect. Uh, do you have any favorite Christmas carols? Um, I, I, I probably am a sucker for most of them. Um, I do, do love Oh Holy Night. Um, yeah, that, that may be my favorite, but I, I'll listen to most of them. I will, um, I run away from as much as I, I did have a childhood crush on George Michael, um, Last Christmas drives me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right, right. Well, that's I don't I don't think that Wham's uh, or George Michael could be really considered a carol exactly. 
<laughs> yes, yeah, I'm hoping it's not. But I, you know, back in the day when we went to malls and things, although I wasn't that much of a frequent of a mall, but you'd have to occasionally around Christmas time. Um, uh, it was always on. I guess even in, in Ubers and stuff. Yeah, I just feel like it was all always on. So it was like a secular carol, you know. But that right. having said, I just want to say, may he rest in peace. And I love to this day just for nostalgic reasons, Careless Whisper. I can belt that song. Mm-hmm. I will not do it right now, but <laughs> trust me. That's good. Well, this is the advantage of singing in a group is that uh, you can really you can really go for it and you don't have to There worry. you go. There you go. Back in the day when we could sing in church, right? Sing in church. <laughs> <All> right, right. <laughs> Next, I'm next so year. glad that nobody said their favorite Christmas movie was Die Hard. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I don't really understand. I don't either. I don't either. That, but it's one of those. Uh, it's it's like the whole is a hot dog a sandwich thing. It's it, oh, dear. way too much. I guess they have too much time. <laughs> no, no, it's totally called distraction. It's, it's uh, procrastination. Yeah. I, I remember this when. Um, when I used to be waiting for uh, Jonah Goldberg's column a thousand years ago before we even had Twitter, like on the corner, our blog on National Review, like I'd noticed that there'd be all these posts about like Star Trek or, ter- or, or terrible movies that are so terrible, they're good. And I'm like, Jonah, <laughs> but whenever I see the guys <laughs> like doing their, you know, movies with onion in the title at one o'clock in the afternoon, I know they're totally procrastinating. <laughs> Onions? What? Like what? <laughs> Cracks me up though. I love them. <laughs> the Maltese onion. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today, and Merry Christmas. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Josiah. I really appreciate it. Merry Christmas to you, too. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's show, we ask that you would subscribe, leave favorable reviews, and tell your friends to tune in to the Urbane Cowboys.